Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about the Indie Game Alliance. We're talking to Matt Holden, who's the guy that created the whole thing, the the big shebang, the boss of the whole thing. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's good, man. I'm excited to talk to you about this. is a little bit different kind of an episode. Normally, I have a topic, and I bring a guest on, and we kind of dive deep on that topic. But today, we're talking about a company. Basically, we're talking about the Indie Game Alliance, what you guys do over there. I think this is important for game designers, especially new game designers, to be aware of, because what you guys offer is just amazing. And I'm really excited to kind of talk about what you guys do, how people can be a part of it, and all that good stuff. But just in case people never heard of Matt Holden, what's your bio? Who are you? How'd you get into games? All that good stuff. Okay, so uh, first off, thanks for having us aboard. Yeah. As for for me, uh, I've I wanted to design games myself since I was probably about eight. I uh, used to yell at my, uh, I'd, I'd sit there by my pool and design sequels to my favorite NES games when I was a kid. Uh, when a sequel to Metal Gear came out, I disowned like three of my friends because I was convinced that they sold my idea to Konami behind my back. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that, that, dream sort of carried on through um, my childhood, and I eventually went to uh, Full Sail, uh, which is a uh, video game design school here in Orlando. Also where WWE uh, is. Yes, uh, they were not there when I was there, uh, because our classes were in a a shopping center, (laughs) and Full Sail eventually bought out the whole shopping center, and now it looks like a college, but when I went there... Legit, our bookstore was in like a Steinmart. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but one of my classes there, uh, I had uh, during a very, very, very rough time in my life. Uh, in December 2003, my mom passed away. Mm. And uh, that same month, uh, I had a class called Rules of the Game. And the instructor for it was Dave Arneson, co-creator of D&D. And he, he, the whole point of his class was to teach us that the rules that apply to good video games apply to gaming in general. And so he sort of zoomed out of video games because everything else was all, here's how you write the code and here's how DirectX works and all this stuff. And he was more like, just here's how you make a game that's fun. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, it was like sitting at the, the feet of the master. It was like learning from Luke Skywalker, talk, hearing this guy talk. And, um, you know, he, he sort of, opened my eyes to the existence of tabletop outside of the Hasbro world and everything. You know, he taught us Settlers of Catan, he taught us Munchkin, he taught us uh, a game called Nuclear War, you know, a bunch of stuff like that and sort of got me interested in that again. Was he one of the guys there with Gary Gygax there from the beginning of D&D? Like, was he an OG kind of guy? It it was, yeah, it was Gygax and Arneson together that wrote D&D. Basically, Gygax wrote the story, and Dave did the math. Okay, cool. And if you want, one day I'll have to do another show with you and just relay some of the stories Dave told me because you you'll be rolling. He he was it was like it was like having uh, as an instructor of uh, Santa Claus having gone through a very bitter divorce, <laughs> and and but. 
but he was just a fantastic, fantastic guy. And I, I wish I'd have had more time with him, yeah. but, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he taught me a lot and he inspired me a lot. And then as I graduated and I found there aren't actually any video game jobs in Florida, I was looking for tabletop work to do. And I started demoing for, uh, for Steve Jackson because I had a copy of Munchkin from having played, uh, with Dave. Uh, I did that for a while, and I decided, you know, there's some things about this that I might want to change, whatever else like this. And so I started looking for someone else I could demo for. Uh, and I ran across a copy of Boss Monster that I had on my shelf. Uh, I called Boss Monster up. I called uh, Chris and Johnny O'Neill, and I said, uh, I'd like to be on your demo team. They said, we don't have one. I said, I'd like to run your demo team. <laughs> So we talked about it for a couple of days, and we came down to uh, the idea that uh, the problem is when you only have one game, which they did at the time, uh, what do you give a volunteer as a reward? You can't give them another copy of the game. They already got it. <laughs> right. They don't want that. So we had this idea, well, what if instead of one company, we had like three or four that shared a demo team? And they said, we think if you could get five companies to do that, it would be very successful. As of this morning, we're at 777. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a little more than five, man. I think that's been uh, successful. We think we got it. Um, but that is, uh, that's why our volunteers are called minions, because they were originally designed to be minions of the Boss Monster. Gotcha. All right, so you had this idea. You call these guys up over at Boss Monster. When did it actually become like the Indie Game Alliance? Like, tell me, I tell you what, let's back up. Tell me what the Indie Game Alliance is. Just give me like the one or two sentence like synopsis. What is it? So we're a guild of designers, publishers, playtesters, uh, just players, volunteers, freelancers, reviewers, uh, folks that do manufacturing. We try to bring everybody that's involved in the creation and the community of indie gaming together to make it self-sustaining, uh, to help publishers successfully get games out, successfully deliver Kickstarter, successfully turn a profit uh, to help them be places they can't be and, and allow them to stand uh, sort of in the same light as, you know, the Asmodees of the world where, you know, they can buy half a convention for, you know. So uh, it's it's very much an e, plur e pluribus unum sort of situation uh, where we sort of behave as one giant company to support all of our uh, our members. Yeah, and you you guys do a great job of connecting members together. For instance, if a game needs an artist, you can you can help them find an artist or all sorts of stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, we have we have a freelancer board. We have uh, we also do things like uh, you know we've got communities where it's like we're trying to print some particularly wacky component. Uh, and somebody also jump in and say, I had uh, so-and-so printing company make that for me, or I found that didn't really work. Maybe I ought to try this component instead. You know, uh, we do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of consultations where I do Skype calls and, and sort of walk through people's games. I can't tell you how many times I've done one of these. Somebody's sitting there holding up cards in front of the camera and like, let's figure this out. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of that sort of stuff. We try to provide sort of a, a pool of resources that, Somebody that's just a mom and pop, or in some case a mom or pop operation, trying to 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 do this, they think, well, I'm just going to design a game, and they don't realize how much just stuff is around it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know 
they don't know how to do manufacturing. They don't know how to do, you know, a, a lot of this sort of stuff. They they just like I made a game and it's fun. Now what? Yeah. You know, and, and we try to sort of ease that learning curve, ease that ramp up process a little bit for for them. And uh, because ultimately, when indie games are successful, we all get more choice. We all get to have more fun. Uh, and we don't end up, for as much as I love Munchkin, we don't end up playing, you know, yet another Munchkin rebuild every six months. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so let's let's go back now. How did this get started? So you taught those guys with Boss Monster, and you're like, hey, this could be a thing. But when did it really become the IGA? Like, can, tell me about the genesis of all that. Four days later. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Yeah, they uh, they on April 25th, uh, 2014, is when they said we uh, will hire you to be uh to be our demo manager i was their demo manager for four days and on and i spent that time writing a proposal which i still have that i presented to them and said uh this is how i want to build your thing and uh we got hung up on the concept of rewards and at the time i actually offered them iga because i was going to work for them and i was like i'll build this and you can own it and they said, well, that's great, but we're a game company. We don't want to do that. Yeah. They said, we would rather be your first client than do that. So they, uh, you know, I, I resigned and I uh, immediately formed IGA with them as our first member. Um, within a week, uh, we had, I think, five or six. Um, that was, like I said, that was in April. Our plan was we were going to launch at Gen Con. And my hope was to have five members by Gen Con. We had 62 when I got there. Wow. And we signed another dozen at the show. And what year was this? Uh, this was 2014. Oh, so wow. we're coming okay. up on our third, our fourth birthday now. Wow, crazy. Um, and, uh, yeah, for the first year, we were basically just chasing the baby carriage down the hill because it was growing so much faster than I could keep up with by myself. Um, the whole thing was designed. I have a background in, in software engineering. And I designed it to automate a lot of the administration stuff. Problem is, it started growing before the automation was done, so it was just me trying to do it, <laughs> and that that did not work. Um, but you know, we're uh, we finally caught the baby carriage, and, and things are catching up now. So yeah, awesome, man. All right, so tell me how it works, right? So, and I guess you have a couple different tracks, or a few different tracks for people that want to join. Like you said, you have almost 800 companies that are part of it, but there's a whole lot more members with people and different designers and all that. So kind of give me the general how this whole thing works. So uh, for our members, uh, we call them studios on our website. What it, what we present to them is a, a sort of a, a estuary uh, and a group of services that they can lean on. The, one of the, the big one is our demo team. Uh, we have at this point an international demo team of over 500 members. Uh, we are active in some form or fashion on every continent except Antarctica. Hmm. Uh, and I will get a penguin. It will happen. <laughs> so we do, you know, we're at probably 40, 50 conventions a year at least uh, and growing all the time. Uh, you know, our volunteers go and do shows on their own even without us telling them to. They just, you know, they go to their local their local shows or whatever and run demos. When our volunteers run demos, they earn what we call loot points. Uh, they fill out a report on their website, and as soon as they click submit on that report, the studio gets an email saying, here's, you know, Jane Smith ran this demo in some game store in Idaho last week, and here's a picture and, you know, some feedback, everything else, and the minion earns loot points. 
and then they can spend those loot points on our website to get themselves more games from you know newer titles that have come in, often fresh off of Kickstarter. So that's how the volunteers get games to demo, and then the that's how also how the the studio can be sure that they're not just going to send out a zillion games to people who aren't going to run any demos because people have to demo to earn the game in the first place. So we think it's kind of a good you know, win-win balance for everybody on that. Yeah, and when that volunteer gets that game, that's their game, right? That's theirs to keep. Correct. Uh, that's effectively their payment for doing the, uh, the work. Uh, and, I mean, we shipped out just yesterday. We, did our, uh, we do our store refresh once a month with new games. Just last month, uh, just this weekend, we shipped out over two thousand dollars in games to minions. Wow! Yeah, it was almost five hundred bucks just in UPS. <laughs> but uh, you know, but we, uh, you know, that's that's how the system works in a nutshell. In addition to that, uh, we offer a ton of uh, discounts. We've negotiated partnerships with people like Board Game Geek and with uh, Backer Kit and and uh, with you know folks that actually you know, manage the ships that bring your game here from China and people that do translations into different languages, over 20 different manufacturing companies uh, from, you know, people like Wingo and What's Games and all those, where we try to make everything that they do as part of the campaign just a little bit cheaper. Yeah. Because in a lot of cases, if you see a game made by like Asmodee and then roughly the same components from an indie game. The indie is often like 10 bucks more expensive, and it's because when you're getting smaller quantities, everything's more expensive. So we try to level that playing field out by saying, hey, you know, this, there's an awful lot of folks in the Indie Game Alliance, and we as a group, you know, we buy a lot of games, even if they're, you know, 1,000 of this and 2,000 of that. So we help out there and then we've got a variety of other services on our website uh, for you know like finding an artist finding a reviewer uh, we just launched a brand new playtesting service uh, this past week that uh, that we're really proud of uh, it was based on about two years worth of feedback from our members okay tell me about that so uh, the playtesting thing I the studios have to do a couple of very simple things uh, first of all you got to send us some prototypes um, really really hard to play test games we don't have so you got to send us at least four prototypes, and then what we do, uh, we'll put those prototypes in our store, and only minions who have earned a certain amount of experience through our system are allowed access to those. Once they get them, they're committing to a, to run at least five playtest sessions of the game within a six-week period. They're also committing to obtain uh, these surveys that we have. On our website, we have a, a survey editor where any member can log in for any game and create a, uh, a, sur a custom survey for players to fill out on their phones. It generally takes about 45 seconds, and we ask our minions to collect those surveys while the minions put in the game away. So they create a custom surveys with the information they want to have about the, uh, about the game. We provide a default if they're kind of stumped on questions to ask or whatever else. And then... Uh, the minion will go out, run the playtests, and they will collect some of these feedback surveys from players. When it's all done, the minion completes a, uh, a final report saying basically, here's my overall based on what I've seen and sort of summarizing things a little bit. And all of that gets packaged up and sent to the designer. And then as soon as that happens, all of the volunteers who have completed the playtests uh, receive however many loot points they earned for all of their activity – we triple that 
for them because there's a little more paperwork and stuff involved. Uh, and because we want them to really pay attention because it's a play test. So uh, it, it turns out really well for, uh, for the minions. The, uh, the studios get some very uh, timely and very educated feedback. Uh, and they get it from different regions. It's nice to be able to, you know, if you live in Florida, to get feedback based on what people in Washington or people in London think. You know, so we're uh, we're pretty happy with that. Like I said, it's brand new. We just sent out the first batch of prototypes with it uh, probably this weekend. Awesome. So. And that sounds really cool. And now, is there an extra cost with this, or it just comes with the, the normal cost of membership? It's built into the normal cost of pro membership. Very cool. All right, so tell me about the different opportunities, options. Like, if I just want to be a volunteer, I don't pay you guys a month to do that. I'm just kind of part of the system. So, like, tell me, but tell me kind of the different tracks people can be on. Okay, so as a designer or a publisher uh, or both, there's one of two tracks you can be on. We have our starter membership, which is free. If you're a starter member, you get access to a few of the discounts. You get access to our freelancer database. We'll share your Kickstarter on social media. Uh, you get access to our Facebook communities and things like that. And you get, you get limited access to our minions. Uh, Effectively, if you have a if a minion already has a copy of your game, they can demo it if you're a starter member and earn loot points. So what we tell our starter members is that one of the best ways to get more demos is just to tell people about us. You know, we when they do a Kickstarter, they've got five six hundred people that just bought their game that are passionate about it. Put up a Kickstarter update and say, hey, you should go join the Indie Game Alliance. And when they do. That's more people who have their game, who can be demoing it. We handle all of the rewards, all the management, everything else. You just got to tell them it's there. And then uh, for our pro members, you get all of that stuff, plus you get access to consulting sessions. You get access to our playtesting system, to, uh, a, to our full suite of uh, member discounts, which I think is over 60 now. It's at least over 50. You get access, and we will warehouse a small quantity of your games, and then they'll be available in our store for minions to earn them with their loot points and, you know, get the game out to more of our volunteers. Our pro members also get a 30-day window of exclusivity on any time we uh, sell services at conventions. Basically, they get first dibs. Yeah, very cool. And actually, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the importance of conventions. I've been to some conventions. I've seen your your table there, you know, your minions there demoing games, and it's just so incredibly uh, important to be at conventions. But a lot of times, you know, it's it's expensive to go. If I'm in again, I'm in Honduras, so it's crazy expensive for me to go to a, a convention. And so let's talk about the importance of cons and what you guys do at conventions that help out games and game designers. Well, I mean, you kind of already hit the nail on the head in that. There, there's so many games out there. There's so much information coming in. And, and there's a lot of people who you know, are leery of Kickstarter for a variety of reasons. And they, just, they, they want a try before you buy. They want to see it. And you know, especially if you're you know, somebody who's in Europe and you can't you know, lug stock over here to the U.S. or you can't, you know, you can't get over to all these shows, it's tough. The other thing is, I mean, a lot of these conventions are just hard to get a booth at. They sell out fast. They're expensive. Uh, we were on a waiting list for Origins for three years before we finally got a booth. There are still some cons we're on a waiting list on that we signed up for the week we started IGA. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and that's rough. If, if you're making a game and it's like, hey, i got to get this out here. I've invested in all this inventory. And it's like, cool, you can sell it in 2021 when you get a booth available. <laughs> 
you know, and then plus people don't understand. They look at a, they look at a, an exhibitor packet on a convention and they say, oh, well, it's, you know, $1,200 for a booth. That's not bad. I can do that. But then they don't realize, well, you know, it costs several grand to get your stock to the show. And it costs money to have staff there. And it costs money for hotels and plane tickets and drayage and all this stuff. And by the time you're done, you know, going to a show like Gen Con, you get a 10 by 10 booth, you probably drop 10 grand. And if you're only going there with one or two games to sell, that's it's tough to make that back. Yeah. You know, so we try to provide as much as we can to have our demo teams there uh, to, you know, just get out the good word about games, let people sit down and play them. We'll run tournaments for people. We'll run organized play for people if they want at cons. Uh, organized play would be a fantastic thing for, to use us for because we uh, because we're distributed. So you can have like regional tournaments at cons and stuff like that. You know, and then we'll, uh, if we have a booth at a show, we'll sell the game for you, and we sell it MSRP and split it 50-50. So, you know, you get about as much money as you would have ended up with anyway by the time it's all said and done, and you get to do it from Honduras <laughs> right. and, and not have to worry about getting there. You know, you don't have to worry about getting your game to the convention. If I've got it in my warehouse, it goes in a U-Haul, and yours truly drives it to Indiana. <laughs> gotcha. um, so... Uh, you know, we do. We, you know, we try to do as much as we can along that way. If you want us to hand out flyers, we will. If you want us to hand out business cards, we will. If you want us to, you know, run demos or, or any of that kind of stuff, we're happy to do that. Uh, we did. Uh, one of our members makes uh, board game tables, and we set up two of his board game tables in our booth at Gen Con, and let you know let folks come in and sit down and play games on the tables and. He then went on to have like a two million dollar board game Kickstarter. So, uh, <laughs> for so, you know, but it's, it's all about being a team. It's all about you know being in all the right places. We were actually really excited at Gen Con because it was the first time we had all three of our convention teams at the same show. Uh, the California team flew out for the show, and we have, we have like the first IGA family photo, as it were, <laughs> after uh, what four years. Yeah, very cool. And so are you guys able to hit the some of the smaller conventions, or do you kind of mainly stay at the bigger ones? Well, normally you won't see me at the smaller ones, other than the ones where local, that are local to us. So, you know, I do a lot of little small shows in the Orlando area where I can just throw some games in my car and go over there. But that's the great thing about having minions everywhere is, you know, is a studio going to pack up a bunch of games and go to some little... 500 person show in Kansas? Probably not. But if we've got a volunteer who lives five minutes from that show, that's got a copy of their game. Yeah. They're probably going to be able to get their game demoed at that show. Uh, you know, but we've got teams that do, uh, no, I personally do Gen Con origins, dice tower, uh, really trying to do SM, but it conflicted with my wedding this year. And my wife said, I really had to show up to that. <laughs> you know, we do, uh, our California team does, uh, all the strategic con game X shows OrtCon, San Diego comic con. Uh, we've got a team up in the Pacific Northwest that handles like PAX prime and Emerald city comic con and, all that sort of stuff. We've got a team in uh, in New York that handles. They, they travel all over the place and do basically everything in New England. Uh, a lot of times we drive up and do like Dragon Con shows like that in Atlanta. Um, and then we have folks uh, volunteers over in Europe that do a lot of shows in Germany and uh, in London. We've uh, we've had demos run at uh, London uh, London Anime Expo and 
uh, London, I think it's London Game Expo, it's called, uh, UK Game Expo, it is. Um, just tons of them. And, I mean, I've, I've never said foot in England, but IGA's run a whole bunch of games there. So Yeah, it's awesome, man. How many minions do you think you have right now? Do you know the exact number or close to it? Uh, I can tell you we hit 500 a couple of weeks ago, and I'll actually click on this here, and I can tell you the exact number. Uh, 520 minions right now. Wow, that's incredible. And they're all over the world. Like you said, they're in different countries, different hemispheres, different places, and they're able to demo games at conventions, but also game stores, right? So tell me you know, what, what, what it looks like for a person, one of your minions, to demo a game at a game store. I mean, we, we do tons of demos at game stores, uh, probably more than at cons, actually, we, where we'll just go out with a bag of games, sit down. You know, we obviously clear it with the, uh, the retailer first. But, uh, you know, we'll go out, run games, uh, and then we help the, uh, the retailer find the game uh, in distribution to, uh, you know, to actually carry it so that after we've ginned up all this interest in buying the game, they can actually, you know, order it for people. We'll never ever sell against a retailer uh, or tell them to go to like, you know, an Amazon or something. We always say order it through the retailer, even if we just have to put the retailer in touch directly with the uh, with the member and say, you know, just pick it up from these guys. Um, you know, and then of course there's there's services like Impressions and Hitpoint that uh, that help make indie games available to retailers as well. We do a lot of that. We do a lot of tournaments, uh, and we do a lot more than just game stores and conventions too. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, college students who demo in student unions and libraries, uh, and a lot of them in churches. We've got people that are den masters for Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts that run demos uh, with those. Uh, lots of like board game clubs in high schools and even elementary schools. Um, we have one guy that I swear to God files 50 demos a week from a Panera Bread in upstate <laughs> New York. We, we basically say any public place, uh, you know, take the games where the players are. You know, if you if you don't have a game store in your area and everybody buys the game buys their games from Barnes and Noble, well, demo the games at Barnes and Noble, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, man. Any any other things that that we need to know that listeners need to know about the IGA and what you guys are doing? Uh, well, I said, you know, we, we've covered a lot of it from the uh, from the designer side. Um, I definitely want to impress upon uh, upon your viewers that that we're always looking for volunteers. Yeah. And if you if you love indie games, if you love being able to get the the latest games right around the time the Kickstarter backers do, if you feel like you you can't, you know, you, you love games so much, but you can't really afford to to keep up your habit as much as you want to, and you wish you had a way to to uh, to improve your collection, or you know, maybe you've hit your spending limit, whatever else like that. IGA is a fantastic way that you can earn games by playing games. Just do what you love, do it in public, make friends, introduce people into the games you love, be passionate about it, and the rewards are there. I mean, I, I had uh, one of our volunteers got almost four hundred dollars in free games this month wow. because he just demoed his butt off, and you know, and so I, every time I'm on Facebook and I see, you know, I'm in the, all the different board game groups and everybody's like, oh, God, this game on Kickstarter and I want it so bad, but I just can't find the money for it right now. And, and you know, that, that it's, it's a great way to do it. It's a great way to, uh, you know, to, to get introduced to new games, to support indie games, to make sure that the creators you love are able to keep doing what they do. You know, it's a great way to make sure that 
gaming doesn't fall, you know, it seems like the bigger Asmodee gets, the bigger it, the likelihood it is that it's all going to be all, you know, all ticket to ride and pandemic all the time. And, you know, the indie community is what keeps that creativity and that, 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 you know, constantly having something fresh and new and unique to explore. And it takes us as a community working together to, to kindle that and preserve that. Uh, in the face of a lot of money and a lot of influence being pressed against that, you know, so it's it's a great deal for for the volunteer. It's a fantastic way to to uh, to support the community and and to our designers out there. I would also say that uh, you know help us grow this team. Uh, help you know take the time to you know send a tweet now and again about our demo team or uh, you know a Kickstarter update or put a little flyer in the box when you ship the game out to Kickstarter because this, a lot of people see it as, as it's IGA's demo team, but it's not, it's, it's their demo team. We just, we run it for them. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, if, if you have an IGA account, even if you're a free starter member, these are your demo people. This is your team. And this is a resource that, that we have that they can use and they are in the best position to, present that and, and to help us out. You know, we talked about we have 520 million, minions and we're like, holy cow, that's a huge number. With 777 studios, if every one of our members sent us their five biggest fans today, we'd be at almost 4,000 volunteers, probably over 4,000 volunteers. Right. And every everybody's got five fans. You know, and, and you know, that, I wish that, that uh, we could do more of that. Because we are a community, and community has to kind of work both ways. Um, you know, we deliberately keep our costs very low so that we can be affordable to everybody. But the downside of that is we don't really have the resources to go and do, you know, a $10,000 advertising campaign on Board Game Geek to hire people or to find volunteers and things like that. So, so having their help is kind of important for us. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. I love what you guys are doing, and I want more people to be aware of it from both sides, whether you're a designer slash publisher or you just want to volunteer and be a minion and, and get some free games and play some great games and, and not have to shell out so much money. But you know, I love the system. It's, it's works-based. How hard you work, you know, you work, the harder you work, the more you get. The more money you get to or the more loot points you get to get some really cool games. Well, Matt, let me ask you about this. You see a lot of games a year. You've got a lot of uh, people that are uh, part of what you're doing. What would be your advice for a new game designer, somebody that's just starting out, starting trying to figure this out? What would you tell them? Well, first thing I would tell them to do is join IGA. And the second thing I would tell them to do is listen to your podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate after, it. after both of those things, a lot of folks uh, sort of drown in the minutia. A lot of people, uh, you know, they, they, they start Googling, like, I've got a game and I think I'm ready to go to Kickstarter. And then they're like, okay, let me just learn about the Kickstarter. And they put it into Google and all of a sudden their head is full of, of you know, printing quotes and, you know, 310 versus 305 GSM black core cards with French linen printing and, and with, uh, you know, and, and, and drayage rates and, you know, and that tax and, and child safety protection and, you know, and people get discouraged. Uh, people get a little uh, intimidated. And, and to them, I would say, take a breath. It's okay. And, and the most important thing, despite all of this, yes, there's a million ways that all that stuff can go wrong. 
and and, and there is. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. There there is. But at the end of the day, we'll help as much as we can. The community will help as much as we can. Uh, one of the great things about the board gaming community is it, it isn't competitive, which is crazy considering that 90% of board games you're playing to win. But, right. you know, board games are not like selling a car. If I buy a Toyota today, the likelihood that I'm going to buy uh, a Ford tomorrow is pretty small. Yeah. But with board games, you know, people are going to get all the good games. And if you make a game that somebody loves, you don't have to worry that they're not going to buy your game because they bought his game. They might buy, buy your game next week when they get paid, but, you know, they're going to buy both games. So the important thing to remember is let the community help, whether it be IGA or folks on Facebook or whatever else. Uh, Reddit's got a couple of great board gaming communities as well. Let the community help. You know, do your time, do your research, everything else. But at the end of the day, make a good game, and that's it. If if you make a good game, everything else will, by and large, get taken care of. The community can help you with everything else. So don't focus on trying to, you know, d don't don't get lost in the weeds of all of this stuff. There's help. Just focus on making a game you love. Don't let anybody change it. That if you're without your permission, don't let people try to tell you that you know if you sell it this way, it won't be marketable. Make a game you love that you can stand in front of people at a convention day in day out and be passionate of, about and proud of. And if you do that, and you have that 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 passion, it will carry the game through. At the end of the day, it will uh, it will make you successful on the days where things are going good. It'll make you get up off the mat on the day when things are going not so good. And for everything else, there's passionate people out there that care, that are selfless, that will take time to help you. Um, I'm one of many. Um, I, I, I by no means claim monopoly to this. There's a lot of things I don't know, and there's a lot of community people out there that, that educate me on a daily. This is a, we're all in this together as a community to make people see and make people love what we do. And, you know, that, like I said, I, I'm, I'm rambling because you, you know, this is, this is what happens when I get passionate about something, but just basically do, do what you love, take help where you need it and keep the faith and, and everything will, uh, will turn out well. Yeah, for sure. I think that's great advice. I think that's uh, what a lot of new game designers need to hear is, is don't get overwhelmed. It's real easy to kind of have that fire hose turned on you. It, it's okay. It, it Just relax because there's a lot of people that have done it before who've already made the mistakes and that we can learn from them. People aren't secretive. They don't they don't hide their mistakes. People like Jamie Stegmeyer and all sorts of people online who are like, hey, I made this mistake. Don't make it like I did. Here's a better way to do it. And there's so many uh, opportunities to learn. And that's one of the reasons I love what you guys are doing with the IGA. It's just so many uh, chances for people to be part of what you're doing and to learn and to get better and to do better and to make great games. Well, cool, man. Well, where can people find Indie Game Alliance? Well, we're on IndieGameAlliance.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook uh, at Indie Game Alliance. Uh, we're Indie Game Allies on Twitter. Uh, Indie Game Alliance didn't fit. <laughs> you know, and then from there, you can, you've got access to our emails and everything. There's, uh, we've got a board game group. I did want to make one more comment about the last thing yeah, go ahead. we're talking about, too. 
The, the other thing I would say to a, to a game designer out there is a lot of people think that doing the Kickstarter thing is just what you're supposed to do. Right. And I want to impress upon designers that there's also no shame in saying, I don't want to deal with all of this and taking your game to a publisher. Yeah. Uh, there are some fantastic, fantastic designers, incredibly gifted people that I work with who just, they don't want the hassle of it. They don't want to spend all of their time arguing with a manufacturer that speaks broken English about the thickness of cards. They just want to make fun games. And, you know, they make a, they make a game, they sell it. Three months later, they're making another game and selling it, and they don't have to worry about that cycle. And that's okay. There's no shame in that at all. If, if any designer is listening to this and they've got a game and they want to find a publisher, talk to IGA. We've actually got a service where we will take your game and find a publisher that it works for and match you up. Uh, because that, you know, we've got a lot of talented publishers that can't produce game. They can't design games as fast as they can produce them that are looking for something to slot into their, uh, their schedules. And, you know, that, and there's no, there's no shame in that. You're not a quitter. If you do that, you're not, uh, you're not a sellout, you know, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with just being like, this is, I don't want to deal with this crap. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm actually one of those people. I have no desire to run a board game Kickstarter. Like, I don't, because I don't want to start a board game business. I'm not trying to be a board game publisher. I don't want to deal with all the, the shipping and the, and the printing costs and trying to figure this and that and these components and what color and the color matching. I have no desire to do that. And that's okay. And so what you do is you, you make the best game you can. And then you start getting to know people that publish games. And, and you know, like you're saying, you, you find people that know people and you just start working working at that from that angle. And that is a very valid way to do it. And I mean, honestly, for a long time, that was the only way. Pre-Kickstarter, that was all you had. There was no option to do it unless you're going to pay for it yourself, which would have been crazy. And so that's that's perfectly fine if you want to do it that way or if you want to do a Kickstarter. That's great too. Well, like that's yeah, what's so and, cool. And a lot of times, you know, because we primarily, you know, we're admittedly a little biased, but we work with primarily indie publishers, you know, and it's perfectly okay to sell your game to somebody and then have them turn around and run a Kickstarter. That's probably what they're going to do. But if they've done 10, 12 Kickstarters before and they're comfortable in those waters, you know, and they've got uh, an audience built up to get more eyeballs on the game. You know, without you having to go start from scratch. I mean, obviously, you don't have to start from scratch because you have IGA. But you know, I mean, obviously, you have to bring some fans to the table of your own. And uh, you know, again, uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with with relying on a publisher's experience uh, and time and money and resources to to do that, especially if it makes your game better in the end. If they're going to take time to do development, if they're going to maybe pony up a little more money for art than you can afford, uh, you know, the little, you know, the little things like, you know, making sure to have a professional go through your rule book editor, uh, go book through your rule book and edit it. So, you know, and, and if a publisher is going to help you do all those little things just right, then there's nothing wrong at all with taking that approach. Um, you know, I have one uh, designer friend who doesn't do uh, work and uh, he doesn't do a lot of, uh, his own publishing and part of the reason is he he makes a lot of typos and he's just like i will screw it up i promise i will and he's just like i just want somebody else to look at it so that, again there, there's there's no wrong way you know make, make a great game and and the community will find a way to get it and enjoy it yeah 
Definitely. Again, that website was IndieGameAlliance.com. Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with everything you got going on. I'm excited about where the future is headed for you guys. And yeah, good luck. Thanks. Appreciate you having us on. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?